All right, everybody. We're live right now. We are live. It is uh, 1133, great state of Ohio. And um, good morning to you uh, SoCal folks, um, where it is uh, just the crack of 830. And so I know this is a bit early, but uh, today I have uh, a very great privilege to go up to speak to um, uh, Fall Retreat of Campus Crusade for Christ, um, now known as Crew, and uh, up in Cleveland. So uh, I've got to take off in about an hour, but I have been so tardy in um, in uh, doing these and getting, you know, where the questions are piling up like nobody's business. So I thought, you know what, let's give it a shot, doggone it, let's do it. Um, so I got uh, got a, several questions that are phenomenal. Um, let me try to find the first one here. Aline, there you go. Um, and uh, so, uh, so Aline asks, good morning, Asher. Uh, Aline asks, um, uh, what about Psalm, hi, Johnny, Psalm 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain he will never let the righteous be shaken. He will never let the righteous be shaken. What does he mean by shaken? Does that mean anxious? Does that mean scared? And what does he mean by righteous? What's the equation? Are we just not righteous enough because we still feel shaken? <laughs> okay, signing off. So, oh, good morning, Kelly. Man, I hope you're feeling better. And did you find your phone? I mean, you've you've had like the worst couple of months. Um uh, in recent memory, that is awful. Uh, but Aline asks this great question. Uh, she says, okay, so the promise is cast your cares in the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Uh, so, and she asks, what do we mean by shaken? Because you can take shaken kind of two different ways. You can take shaken in an ultimate kind of way, like shaken is um, the, the Lord will never let his righteous fall. The Lord will never let, the, let, let his righteous people um, depart from him. The Lord will continue to procure their rescue and their salvation. I mean, there's a sense in which um, shaken can mean you're, you're, you're just bedrock um, and foundation in God's people, and that will never be shaken. Your inheritance will never be shaken. So uh, in, in one sense, the righteous will never be shaken in that sense. Um, in the kind of uh, salvific, rescuing sense of the, the term. But, I, but I, there's a subjective element to this that uh, Aline points up, that it's like, well, sometimes I feel shaken. And being shaken and feeling shaken, I think, are, are, are two different things. I mean, we feel shaken all of the time. And, and there's a sense, when you, when you take verses like this, Psalm 55, Cast your cares in the Lord. He will sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be shaken. There's a sense in which um, we can easily turn those promises into contractual agreements. And, uh, man, it is so easy to do. I do it all of the time. It's kind of like the, uh, you know, cast your cares, or excuse me, um, raise your children in the way, you know, that they should go, and they will never depart from you. And... Uh, so, so there are people that are just like fantastic. That's a that's a ironclad promise, right? So I'll just teach my kids the Bible and pray over them. They'll it's guaranteed they'll turn out okay. And as many of us have experienced, and many parents know, doesn't always work that way. 
So, so I take images like this um, or a lot of the Proverbs to, to speak the general truth about kingdom life and life with God. Um, uh, and, and they're general principles. They're, they're, um, they're, they're anchors and landmarks in, in kingdom life. So I have no problem saying, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. The issue is, what do we mean by shaken? Because, um, and the righteous, by the way, Aline, back to that question, the righteous really has to do with those aligned with uh, the, the will of God on earth. So, um, so those people will never be shaken. Now, they may feel shaken all the time. Hence, all of the commands to fear not, put your trust in the Lord. All of those assume uh, that uh, we'll be tempted not to. But being shaken, I think, is a different thing. And in the scriptures, being shaken has to do with like shaken out of God's tribe, shaken out of God's plan, shaken out of uh, the rescue that, that God has pro- procured for the Israelites in this case and for us in Christ. So fantastic, fantastic question. Another, another big question. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Katie. Hi, Greg. Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's 11.30. It's cloudy today. Cloudy, 100% humidity, cloudy and hot. Uh, I signed up for fall. This is not fall at all. This is, um, this is muggy. I mean, that's no good. Although, I will say, my, my friends in California tell me it's like 96 degrees and desert-like. And so, uh, I'll take this. Um, anyway, thanks for tuning in. Um, according to my, I'm shook. <laughs> yes. Amen. I'm not shaken. I'm not stirred. I am shook. Perfect. Kelly, I'm glad you have a new phone and computer and you're healing up well. Uh, how soon can, uh, until you can salsa dance? Kelly is a big salsa dancer. And, um, hi, Laura, Brian. Uh, it's 830. Come on. What are you guys doing? It's beautiful. All right. Um, Hi, Vivian. This will be similar to what I did last night for our our closed group. Uh, But I wanted to do it for the bigger group because I just haven't done anything in weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Oh, you have a festival this weekend, Kelly? Oh, my goodness. Don't re-injure the collarbone. Don't do it. I don't know how how taxing salsa is on collarbones, but be careful. All right? Um, All right, next question. I have had – hi, Tina – I have had uh, a very challenging year and a half. To be honest, a challenging heart and gut-wrenching lifetime. So I'm so sorry to hear that. I feel like I hear and see conflicting info in the Bible and from the church regarding whether or not these difficult times come from God. Yeah, I can see that. There are conflicting uh, passages or seemingly conflicting passages, and that's why there are two big theologies out there about whether or not God uh, causes difficult times. One story that comes to mind is with Joseph and how in the end, he states that though his brothers intended to harm him, God meant it for good so that many could be kept alive. Or the Job story where Job's obliterated, but then is restored to even more than before. Uh, The problem with these stories is they cause tons of irreversible damage on all levels. Uh, And I kind of feel like that's how my life is. I don't feel... The damage is worth whatever good God has cooking in the kitchen. Uh, The other thing that I hear all the time is it's not really God doing the orchestrating. He's basically repurposing the bad stuff from Romans 8.28. Well, which is it? I'm just tired of trying to make sense uh, of crap in my life and trying to find hope. Kind of all seems pointless. Like I should try to live for me and stop worrying about others and how this is all going to get worked out. 
Oh my goodness, if you are hearing my voice, um, I am so proud that you felt comfortable to be this honest. Um, boy, a lot, of, a lot of folks really don't feel that comfortable. And I think, I think a lot of folks do feel, though, exactly uh, what you're feeling. So let's go through your question a little bit. I'm sorry you've had a challenging year and a half and a gut-wrenching life. I can't imagine that. I'm sorry that I lament a world where that happens. Yes, uh, there are passages that seem to say that God is in charge of every minute detail of the earth. Uh, and passages that seem to say that, no, there are other wills being done. So you have uh, Reformed folks, uh, or sometimes they'll be called Calvinists, that think that everything that happens on the earth has been foreordained and um, is orchestrated directly by God. I am not one of those people. Uh, primarily, and, and, and we've done some podcasts on this, so if you're interested and want to dig back through the archives, we we'd had a couple of podcasts on the, the idea does. God orchestrate, does God cause evil? And I think Jesus very clearly teaches no, that he does not. Number one, when he prays, and now this isn't a sophisticated answer. I mean, there, there are good books I can recommend um, and uh, law, law, much larger, deeper conversations that, that we could get into. But in terms of does God micromanage the world, I think Jesus very clearly, says, no, there are other wills at work in the world besides God's. So the first, uh, the first will that, that Jesus mentions, of course, is the, the will of human beings. Um, the, the, he talks about how um, uncleanliness doesn't come from the food that you eat um, or uh, the things that go inside of you. It actually comes from the heart. And so Jesus identifies the issue as the human heart. So the defiance that began in the Garden of Eden continues to this day. And we all recognize that it's not God's will that I lust or that I'm greedy or that I'm prideful. Uh, yet God allows those things to be true of me as he works out my sanctification and salvation in a very tender, gentle, uh, progressive kind of way. Uh, secondly, Jesus is very, very clear when he asks his disciples to pray that, that the kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, that uh, that presupposes the idea that God's will isn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the kingdom coming when and the texts are so clear on this in the in the uh, in the synoptic gospels um, that that whenever Jesus is healing, whenever Jesus is delivering, whenever Jesus is working, he is opposed by demonic forces. And and as much as we don't like that in the 21st century, we think that's a remnant of some archaic worldview. Um, the, the story that's painted, if you take the Gospels at face value, is, is a story of two kingdoms vying for power on the earth. And, and it isn't until the kingdom of Jesus comes that the kingdom of this Satan, this accuser, is displaced. In fact, Jesus says that the accuser has a kingdom. Paul calls the accuser, uh, Paul calls the, accuser the god of this age. He calls the accuser the prince of the air of the world. Jesus calls the accuser, the archon of this world, the prince of this world, archon, uh, is, a, is a term for a high-ranking official. So you, and then the the uh, doing a bit of study in, on um, a parable called the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds, because in it Jesus seems to to he tells the story about a farmer that sows wheat into his field and uh, then. Overnight, unbeknownst to him, uh, an enemy comes in 
and sows weeds. And the weeds are called like Darnell. <laughs> I don't know if that's, I'm sure that it's pronounced in a much more uh, uh, Hebrew way. Darnell, I don't know, but they're, but they're, they're in the beginning stages of its growth, um, the wheat and the weeds look very similar. It isn't until it isn't until they begin to developing um, so that you can see clearly the difference. And so, so Jesus tells this parable about somebody who came in and sowed um, an enemy's field with weeds, contaminating the wheat also. So the servants recognize this, and the servants um, uh, they they ask the very natural question: Well, do you want to pull the weeds up? And Jesus uh, gives this great and man, I mean. So much to unpack there. Hi, Natalie. Good morning. Um, there's so much to unpack there, but he gave this answer where he says, no, let them both grow together until the harvest time. And at that point, the wheat and the weeds will be separated. Now, several verses later, Jesus gives an interpretation of this where he says, he says, um, the, the, the field is the world, uh, the wheat are the righteous, the weeds are the unrighteous. But, but an enemy, this Satan, an enemy is involved in the world and is responsible for much of the weeds that we see growing around us. And that God in his patience waits uh, to harvest, so A, so that as many can come into the harvest on the good side as possible, but B, um, it is not up to us to be harvesters, even though you know, we'd love to do that. But the point that Jesus makes here and it's a pretty profound point if you're talking about does God orchestrate evil, is that he uses the metaphor of, a, of the world, and then he says something happened in the world that was not of God, not of the landowner, not of the farmer. He says an enemy did this. And so this is totally consistent. If you start with the Synoptic Gospels of Jesus teaching that there is a counter kingdom that is real, that is active, and there are other wills, done on earth besides the will of Jesus and his Father. And besides, if God is orchestrating everything that is happening on the earth, then Jesus was, was actually uh, warring against his Father when Jesus was remedying illness, uh, when he was proclaiming good news to the poor. I mean, what's Jesus coming to rescue if his Father, this was his Father's plan all along? I mean, it just doesn't, this does totally not make sense to me. And I think it paints a picture of, of God that is absolutely demonic. You are attributing to God the work of Satan when you attribute um, when you attribute God uh, evil to God. And so, for me, when I when I come across somebody like you, young questioner, um, yes, Job Job was obliterated for sure, but it wasn't God who did it; it was an enemy, and uh, God did restore him, no question about it. Uh, but if you read the text really carefully. The story really is about how you can't draw equations between righteous people being blessed and unrighteous people being punished. It's just more complicated than that, and you can't know for sure um, uh, the weeds and the weeds. You just can't know for sure. So Job actually works against the idea that this whole thing is meticulously planned out. You reference Joseph. Absolutely. His brothers intended to harm him. But God used it for good. That is so. So my view, and and many of you have heard me say this a, a zillion times. My view is the Bible teaches that God is good. There's no darkness in Him. He does not ever need evil to accomplish His purposes. Secondly, uh, evil really is evil. 
like it hurts and we can try to put a redemptive spin on it say well god will make it beautiful and and that's true but that doesn't take away from how much it sucks in the meantime and the third thing that the scriptures teach is that god will bring good out of evil always and that good could come much later down the road it doesn't minimize the pain uh but but you know we always have to be careful when we i don't know why i keep getting this white dumb thing on my lip. let me do this we always have to be careful when we talk about God's blessing because what I think God's blessing looks like for me is very different from what God thinks God's blessing looks like for me, right? I want, I want riches and, and fame and notoriety and success and the holiness, righteousness, the fruit of his spirit, the transformation into Christ's likeness. So, yeah. Um, so I, I'm with you on the on the sentiment that says I'm not always sure that God's good is worth uh, what I'm going through right now, and I totally get that. But one of the absolute, utter, unshakable promises is that it will be, and that there are those on the other side of difficulty who testify to that truth. So, so we don't minimize how much your year has hurt, um, but we. We don't say that God was responsible for it. Now, I do think God allows us to go through dark nights of the soul. We've talked about that on the podcast. Uh, I think God allows us times of dryness. I think God allows these things for sure. But the kind of difficulty it seems like you're hinting at, um, I just see God responsible for. So a lot more to say about that. Question number three. Uh, Oh, this was a nice question. And hello, Sheila, Judy, Brianne, Janet, Jason. Good morning. It's so great to uh, see your names pop up. And uh, so honored to to be a part of your morning, whatever you're doing, uh, whether it's dishes, whether you're bored at work already at, at 8.51, which is quite possible. Um, Jeff Gideon. Boy, Penn State looks good, my friend. Dang, we're going to go to the OSU-Penn State game at OSU, doggone it, we, if, even if we have to mortgage our house to do it. and. Um, and it'll be glorious, Jeff. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if you get any lions or for reals. Uh, good morning, Jason. So the the question we the third question we got um, is just an update on us, which is very nice that someone at least cares. How is Mike's mom? How are Nate and Hannah doing in school? How is Seth acclimating to new home? How is Jesse doing? Mike's anxiety. Vox financially. Is there any spe- uh, specific needs for Vox staff, prayer requests uh, for Vox, anything like that? So I'll do a, a very quick update. Um, if you don't know, uh, we have relocated to Ohio. We did that in the most abrupt and awful fashion imaginable. I regret uh, so many of, of so much of how that went down. We really hurt a lot of, uh, of uh, feelings because it was so abrupt. It was literally two weeks where we kind of announced it and then we left. And that's just not enough for 20 years of friendships and a brand new church plant. Um, so I'm, I, I'm, uh, Nate and Hannah are doing great. They're in school. They love it. Uh, they love weather. They love that the, they can go to the park and we don't worry about them. Uh, they love the neighborhood feel. Uh, they love that stuff. You tell Matt Smith I said hello as well, Brian. Uh, Mama Bear is doing great. She, um, she uh, is substitute teaching, so she's in the classroom. She loves that. Um, and as the kids do well, you know, she does well. Um, uh, so Jesse's doing pr- pretty well. I think we're, we're good. How much will Saquon win the Heisman by? I think lots. I mean, who else is out there? 
Baker Mayfield? No way, man. I think I think he's got it locked, baby. Unless the Buckeye defense can stop him. Um, how is Mike's anxiety? Uh, who knew? Who knew? This is shocking, but who knew that moving abruptly across the country from a support system in a church full of people that you love into an area that you've never been before with minimal support system, who knew that that would add stress and anxiety to your life? But evidently it has. So I'm hanging in there, but, you know, anxiety blows chunks. Uh, Mom is, we've been spending loads of time with my mom, which is the greatest thing ever. So I'm I'm so happy with that. And, and we're still not sure what's wrong. There's some blood count that's still too high, but her energy's better. Uh, she doesn't seem as fatigued. That was the thing that was really worrying us. And when we saw her in March and June, um, when we started thinking about moving, was uh, she seemed very, very, very fatigued and like not herself. So uh, anyway, that's how the Eries are doing. Um, uh, one last question, my brothers and sisters. Less. There's something else you want to chime in on. Man, 42 of you are watching this. That's crazy. Thank you. Or your jobs are just so freaking boring. Uh, and you want to look at some big white talking head, which, you know, I, I think you can do that by watching uh, Big Hero 6 too. But the, the last question, unless you've got any questions you want to talk about this morning, I've got about 10 more minutes. I can do this. Uh, last question is this. Woke up this morning to tweets um, from the president blaming the people who are dying in Puerto Rico. Vox has discussed this before, but at what point is it enough? There are no gray lines. You either support this his hateful policies or you don't. Suffering and tragedy in minorities and LGBTQ community is an inconvenience for this president and his party. At what point will Christians take a bold stance rather than saying over and over again to pray for this hate? Ooh, great question. Well, I, I think that there are a couple of things I would say. First of all, um, uh, I think many have taken bold stance. Now, it depends how bold we're talking. Are we talking civil disobedience? Are we talking you know, rallying to not my president? Are we talking... Um, about uh, peaceful protests. I mean, what are, what are we talking about in terms of bold stands? Uh, there are many of us who are not only troubled by our president, um, but are troubled by the seemingly endless evangelical support of our president. Now, the posture we take at Vox, we want to love and serve the world, not sit in judgment of it. And at the same time, we want to be a prophetic witness to the world. And so the issue is how in the world do you take a stand without it just adding to the political noise and divisiveness? Jesus had this incredible way of um, bringing people, like in the example we always use is zealot and the tax collector would sit around the table with Jesus, that you could not find more folks politically separated on the spectrum. Uh, the zealots believed in armed revolts. The tax collectors were in cahoots with Rome. Later on in the first century, tax collectors were designated for assassination by zealots. I mean, these these are not people that naturally associate together. So part of the work of Jesus is bringing together people who have no natural association. So I love that we have a, a guy that comes in a big old Trump shirt sitting next to an illegal immigrant. I mean, that's that's the beauty of the body of Christ. So that doesn't mean we don't have opinions. It simply means that those opinions come from a place of rootedness and identity in the kingdom first and foremost, and not as a not as a political being or an American citizen or a Republican or a Democrat. 
So our political activism comes not from a partisan place, but rather we desire to see human flourishing for all people. And so with any president, whether you loved Obama or hated him or would have loved Hillary or hated her or Trump or whatever, we support what we can. We bless what we can. We oppose uh, things that are not aligned with the kingdom. Now, Christians disagree all over about specific policies, but our disagreement spill over into the world and totally affect our witness. Because we're not disagreeing the way that Jesus uh, disagreed, right? Jesus disagreed. He blessed his persecutors. He prayed for those um, who who were persecuting him. He loved his enemies. Now, again, with, with Trump, you're opposed to him. By all means, be opposed to him. But if your life and your energy and your thought is being wrapped around um, and, the, and, and hatred is being developed in your heart and bitterness and resentment and all, so all sorts of this ugly stuff, then perhaps your political activism isn't bringing about kind of righteous fruit that God would desire. And, and maybe we need to take more cues from Jesus about what it looks like to protest. I, I, Jesus was very clear. So was Paul um, about their subversive, their subversive ways of going after things, anything that claimed or threatened Lordship of Jesus. Now, you can't threaten the Lordship of Jesus, but at least you can claim to uh, have power and Lordship in this world. Anything that was was doing that, Jesus would undercut, would undercut. So, so you know, I, I firmly believe um, that uh, NFL athletes should have the right to kneel for the national anthem. I, I could, and I thought, I thought our president did a uh, horrific job in asking for those people to be fired. Um, uh, but, but is that a bat? Is that a battle I need to speak in on and spend time worrying about? Uh, I don't know unless it's done for the sake of public witness, because so many different kinds of people listen to Vox. So many kinds of people participate. Uh, we want to f- walk a fine line between welcoming everyone to the table, even those that think Trump is fantastic and, and those that think he's horrible. Um, but at the same time, there are instances where we have to speak. Um, and how do you know when and where? Well, I just look at what Jesus did. Jesus went after the religious elites, the, the religious hypocrites. Jesus didn't overturn temples in, um, in Rome, uh, even though the idolatry there and the leaders there are far worse than anything we could ever imagine or elect. Uh, what Jesus did is he turned over tables in his temple, in his father's house. And what that tells me is that the church, first and foremost, has a responsibility to keep its keep its um, house clean. And uh, for for me, that it wasn't so much that people were supporting Trump; it was that evangelicals had um, anointed him God's candidate. At least some of them did. And the narrative still out there is that well, white evangelicals are responsible for this. So we're losing an entire generation of young folks who cannot believe. Uh, their parents and and their parents' friends voted for somebody like this. So uh, that, that's a big old rambling answer. Uh, we've done, I think, seven podcasts on um, Jesus and politics. And so um, I, if you want more, I, I'd encourage you to go there. Um, I, I miss some. Okay, Linda, hello. Joshua, hello. Brian, hello. I'll see you later. Um, Catherine has been praying for you and your family. Uh, Vox, you've changed us for the better. Oh, I'm so grateful to hear that. 
Yo, Joshua, what about the state of Oxford? Oh, great question. Uh, I am I am absolutely shocked, shocked at the resilience of our community. The way I handled leaving and the abruptness of the departure w- should have shut the thing down. I mean, there's just no way. It's been crazy. And yet here we've got this incredible teaching team uh, of which I'm a part. I mean, you literally could run churches based on any of these four teachers that we've got. It's ridiculous. Our attendance is totally stable, beginning to creep up. Uh, the financial part is is the part I think that is the most ridiculous because um, I had folks who were very much uh, was seeking wisdom about moving, who were very much opposed to me moving, who have continued to be incredible supporters of the community. And, and so that tells me, uh, first of all, God gets all the credit. Uh, for this. We have an incredible team. Um, it tells me that uh, Vox, Vox is here to stay and that it's bigger than one person, which we have always dreamt of. And so I could not be more delighted with God's faithfulness to us. I could be more delighted with the people who've stuck around um, and are committed to each other and, and still embodying the kind of community we think is really needed in the world today. Um, so Natalie, thanks for picking that up. Is Eddie Vetter next? Uh, yes, he's next for everything. I'm I, I'm going to spend my political chips trying to get Pearl Jam at the Super Bowl. So I think they would hate it. Uh, I would love it. So we'll see. We'll see if that happened. Jason, hello, Jason. Jason uh, was the pastor at my old church. So hello, man. You guys are so. You guys are here. Good morning. Anything you want to talk about? I've got about five minutes left. I'm out of uh, big questions. Uh, I can just kind of ramble and tell you I'm looking out my window. Uh, hence the whiteness. I'm not normally, I'm much more tan than this, but the windows, just whiteness, accentuates my own. Uh, we can talk about the glory of driving by Ohio, uh, Ohio Stadium and what it was like to sit in the horseshoe uh, for the first time in years. We could talk about uh, the weather. We could talk about how much we miss the Vox community in Southern California. Uh, anything you want to talk about? I'm so I, I'm always blown away that uh, we and I get to be a part of your life, and uh, we want more of these because uh, I've been slacking so badly. The technology side's been a little crazy on, on some things. It's taken us a while to get the Facebook um, or the Skype thing lined up. Um, but thanks to Andy Bear, hi Chris, hi Phil, hi John, hi different Phil. Hi, hi, uh, Lindsay and Ken. Oh, my goodness. You guys are awesome. All right, so any, anything you want to talk about? You got me for five more minutes, not that you care. What are you doing at, uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning? What are you doing? Are you at work? If so, what, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you doing? Is, is the day that bad already? That's what I want to know. Any questions we ought to consider in the future? I'm getting nothing. So. I'm going to talk for maybe a minute more and then put you out of your misery. <laughs> but thank you for joining. Seriously, this is so, so amazing. Um, we're still dripping out Sex, Love, God a little bit as, as Andy and I try to find a new rhythm. The interview with Sky was phenomenal. Um, we're going to try to get him back. Um, somebody asked last night if we're going to follow up on the Rob Bell, Greg Boyd, Tim Mackey conversation. Yes. We've got some embarrassed by the Bible stuff cooking. So shall see my brothers and sisters but i hope that you have a good day today 
I really do. And, uh, and, and that, you know, that, that something uh, in the last half an hour turned out to be helpful. <laughs> so thank you for those of us that pray. Uh, we're so blessed by that. And thank you for those of us who continue to support us in the midst of all this crazy transition. We love you and we are so freaking blessed uh, to be a part of your life. Till next time, my brothers and sisters, amen. Amen.